working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, this is Zach Albetta, and welcome to another edition of the Working Drummer Podcast. Today's interview is with Tina Raymond, who is one of the busiest jazz drummers in Los Angeles. The LA jazz scene has really been blowing up in recent years, and Tina is very much in the middle of it. She performs in the city's top jazz clubs, uh, including Vibrato and the Blue Whale, as well as internationally, with artists ranging from relative newcomers like Kathleen Pineda and John Armstrong, to long-established greats like Bobby Bradford and Vinnie Golia. She's a graduate of the California Arts Institute, better known as CalArts, where she studied with Joe LaBarbera, who is an absolutely legendary jazz drummer and master teacher. Uh, in addition to drumming, she is a certified yoga instructor, and she has some very cool things to say about how that has affected her as a musician, mentally and physically. And she also talks about her experience as a woman in the male-dominated worlds of jazz and drumming, and how her perspective on that has recently changed. So hope you enjoy my conversation with Tina Raymond. Sometimes we start interviews with like what you're doing now, and sometimes we start at the very beginning where you're born and, and all that jazz. But I, w- I want to start with you okay. with CalArts. Okay. Because you went to graduate school there, mm-hmm. and CalArts seems to me to be this enigmatic place where you can kind of do whatever the hell you want and find a master to teach you that thing. Yeah. So what was your experience there? Um, I always say that CalArts was like rehab for me, (laughs) um, coming out of my undergrad experience, which was very traditional music school based, Mm -hmm. um, CalArts was really a place where, um, they held this space for you to create your own sound and to figure out what you want to do. Um, and so I studied with Joe LaBarbera there, um, who really focused my playing and helped me develop my ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, and with the African drum teacher, Alfred Lagzekpo, um, who that was particularly important for me. He, he reminded me that I was good at learning music and that I had an intuition for it. Um, and I think in a normal music school, you can sometimes forget um, that you're actually good at what you're doing because everyone's trying to beat their information into you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, an, it was an incredible experience. I don't know that I would have continued playing if I hadn't have gone to CalArts. Really? Yeah. Wow. Why not? Um, I was just feeling very uninspired after my undergrad. Hmm. Um, I felt a little worn down, a little beaten down, um, not sure of what direction to go in. Um, the perspective of the music business in a lot of music schools is you have to be able to be, to be good at everything. You have to cover all your bases because the music business is so terrible that you just need to be able to do everything. And CalArts has a very different perspective in that if you're really good at what you do, you'll make it happen. You'll make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that to be true here. Tell people about uh, Joe LaBarbera. Joe's the best. <laughs> Joe's the absolute best. He is. Um, he's personally invested in his students' development. I feel like I have someone in my corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's such a part of the history. Um, he teaches a two-week class on the history of Bill Evans and the music of Bill Evans, which, I mean, there's not a lot of people around still that have had firsthand experience with that. So mm-hmm. it's really cool. Um, to hear it from someone who's actually there. Right. And for those who don't know, Joe LaBarbera was the drummer in the last trio that Bill Evans had. Right. In, exactly. In the year... 
Oh, I don't years. know. I should know that. I don't. It was in the late, early 80s, sure. I want to say. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, it's the trio with Mark Johnson. Right. Okay. Um, but um, Joe's also a really methodical teacher. Mm-hmm. And a lot of great jazz drummers are not necessarily great teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been my experience. Yeah. Where they know what to give you at the right time to help you take another step forward. And Joe is always really good about giving me really specific, tangible exercises to do to take another step towards playing in a way that will be more authentically myself. And I, I uh, it was interesting what you said about how Cal arts and a teacher like Joe help people find their individual voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if anybody needs proof of that, go to YouTube and watch Tina Raymond play and then go to YouTube and watch Gene Coy play. Exactly. Both We're graduates, very different, both yeah. graduates of that same program and just couldn't be more different. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, uh, what about your voice or your sound? Do you feel your, your time at Cal arts helped you develop? Um, I think I'm a really intuitive player mm-hmm. and I think studying with Vinnie Goya and being in Vinnie's, um, free ensembles really helped me tap into trusting that instinct mm-hmm. instead of, um, sort of going through like the history of jazz in your brain as you're playing, you're like, Oh, and I should do my Philly Joe licks and <laughs> I should do my Art Blakey shuffle. And, and just knowing that what you're hearing in response, um, to what you're actually hearing mm-hmm. is valid and you should trust it. Hmm. Um, and just in terms of confidence with that, Joe was really helpful with that. He was like, you're really good. You should trust you're really good. And mm-hmm. you know, just, it's, it's okay to be you yeah. develop that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. You've got the art Blakey thing down. You don't need to worry about it anymore. Now, now practice your own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, great. So I've been watching you play um, since I've been in LA and, and the first thing that, that jumped out at me was just sort of the um, both your both your demeanor behind the drums mm-hmm. and the sound you put out to me is um, on a very even keel very it's very calm mm-hmm. um you you don't you you don't seem like a very excitable i get a lot of shit for that <laughs> man if i had a dollar every time someone said you should smile when you play which is really kind of fucked up isn't it yeah like no one was going to say that to miles davis true yeah 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 kind of weird so is that is that something you've intentionally cultivated no but um i think i know where it comes from um i grew up taking classical ballet Russian method classical ballet Uh and in that training you're supposed to make everything look easy you're supposed Mm -hmm. to make everything look effortless Mm -hmm. and um, performing with that in mind at such a young age and they don't really teach you stage presence in in music school so that's just kind of been my default Um, I think that's where it comes from Mm -hmm. that would be my best guess and how does that translate to your sound? Um, I don't know I mean I studied with this guy in my undergrad named John Von Olin, mm-hmm. um, who... And in Cincinnati? In Cincinnati. Okay. Um, he was a, a big band drummer in the Stan Kenton Orchestra mm-hmm. um, and with Winnie Herman. Um, and his whole method of creating sound is using gravity, is using the weight of your arms um, and, and the drop of the stick to create the sound. And that's actually, I found that to be true with Alfred Lagzekpo and the way he plays if if you've seen some of those traditional African AOA drummers play, they, they use their shoulder blades, they use their arms and they, and they let the gravity move their arms from their backs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my concept of sound. What is your concept of 
just improvisation and interaction. Because what I was talking about earlier with your sound being very calm, mm-hmm. um, there are some drummers who, for better or worse, you know, take you on this roller coaster. Right. Um, but you, like I said, your your sound is well, on much more on even keel. It depends on the room. Like, I think you've seen me at the Blue Whale, which mm-hmm. is a cement box. Right. And I'm always very conscious of the room. Right. I never want to make a sound that's going to hurt someone's ears. You've heard drummers like that where they hit a bunch of rim shots and you're like, oh my God, I hate you. I'm totally. going to throw you out the window. <laughs> um, and I'm always very conscious of, of that and of trying to play... Um, to support whoever else is playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I mean, yeah, you want to interject, but um, I don't want to overstate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. So that's, that's my concept. Well, and it, it seems like in, you know, a lot of, a lot of drummers in LA or New York mm-hmm. um, are, are big on the overstating. Yeah. And it gets a lot of attention and, and sure. in, in some contexts it's appropriate. Um, but do you do you feel like your uh, you know rejection of that has um, is is it a blessing and a curse? Has it helped and hindered you? Is it probably yeah probably yeah. both. Um, I like to, I like to interact with people where they're at and mm-hmm. um, and kind of inspire them from where they're at in the moment rather than you know this is what I do this is my statement on your solo right um, it's more of an interaction with who's ever there in the moment. Yeah. Um, and I try not to think too hard about it. I try to just respond, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it, it, that's another good point about your playing is that it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem, um, preconceived because I, I, I feel like a lot of musicians, um, drummers or otherwise mm-hmm. sort of come to whatever gig they're at with a lot of baggage or an agenda sure. or, but, but you seem, just very much in the moment and you and the other thing about you is that you play with nothing to prove thank you you're welcome that's awesome um it how is that is that something that came naturally to you or is it did uh, you have eventually to... eventually i think if you had heard me when i first moved here it would have sounded like i had something to prove <laughs> i felt like i did yeah but again in the cal arts environment i mean they've made it such a nurturing space where you don't feel like you're in competition with anyone except for yourself mm-hmm um, and that eliminates that whole like, oh, I've got to play all my licks. And, yeah. Because um, it's about creating music and it's about enjoying what you do. I didn't know the the, the thing about ballet yeah. about you, but what I did know about you, which I want to talk about, is your background in yoga. Mm-hmm. Or you're a certified instructor, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. When when did you get into yoga? My <laughs> my. The summer in between my master's degree, um, I had gone through a really bad breakup mm-hmm. um, and was just sad. And, and in L.A. with a, a handful of friends who were in and out for the summer with family, and I sort of just wandered into this yoga class um, and the topics the teacher was talking about of um, letting go and, and being comfortable in, this, in the space you're in and where you are is where you need to be. Um, it was just the right time for me to hear those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that summer I went almost every day and sort of tried to heal myself through that emotional just wreckage. Mm-hmm. Um, and and from there really got inspired to dig deeper. And I man, actors are all required to take yoga. If you look at like actor courses, they all have their morning yoga class when you know the musicians are going to theory class. Right. And I think that it should be a part of a music curriculum too. Um, there's so many different topics 
that are that everyone needs to hear that's an artist that's mm-hmm. a human really yeah um, you know like one of my favorite sayings is whenever you learn something new at first is really awkward and you're really bad at it then eventually it becomes easier then you become a master at it then it becomes part of who you are and then you're required to share it <laughs> and that's the process of learning anything new and the first statement is so important um, because there's so many times when we're bad at something and that stops us yeah um, but then the middle part of that is also true where it's like you have to persevere until you get to that point where you don't even think about it anymore and that's what I'm constantly trying to do on the drums is I'm not thinking mm-hmm. I'm just doing it mm-hmm. you know you yeah. don't think about your five stroke rolls anymore and they just happen right there's a, a great quote from uh, Peter Erskine in his book that he wrote what two or three years ago mm-hmm. um, when he was he was getting really heady playing in Weather Report yeah. and he was overthinking and just kind of freaking out and Jocko told him don't think yeah concentrate yeah concentrate oh I like that yeah it's so, a meditation mm-hmm. that's exactly what it is yeah so. Uh, we, we touched on the aspects of yoga that, that affect your playing mentally as mm-hmm. far as being in the moment and having nothing to prove and just mm-hmm. this moment is what it is. Yeah. How has it affected your playing physically? Um, awareness, physical awareness. Um, the alignment principles mm-hmm. have been really helpful. I, when I was practicing for long hours, you, you know, you always get lower back pain or your wrists. Um, and just knowing some stretches to do or or just proper alignment sitting. I always mm-hmm. try to sit with my back really straight. Right. Um, but that's not just a physical thing, too. Like, if you think about energetics, the only way to get the energy moving through your body in the most efficient manner is if you're upright, is if you're straight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called the shishumna, I think. It's like the energy... I'm suddenly conscious of this because Tina is is seated on the couch in front of me, just like with her back perfectly straight, and I'm I'm like doubled over in this weird posture. So I'm going to fix myself now. Well, I'm like I'm in like an eagle pose. <laughs> I'm just levitating on the sofa. Um, for drummers who may not wander into an actual class mm-hmm. like you did, are mm-hmm. are there any online resources? for posture or for energetics or, or like you said that you would um, recommend? I mean, there's a great yoga website called Yoga Glow, G-L-O, mm-hmm. that has classes and of varying lengths and um, different levels of difficulty. I'm sure you could find like a 15-minute stretch class on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know a lot of musicians get into Alexander technique in terms of posture. I haven't studied that personally, mm-hmm. um, but I know that's helpful for a lot of people who don't actually want to do the work of a yoga class, mm-hmm. but I still think that going to a yoga class would be the best yeah. option to be in front of a teacher who can watch you and interact with you right? and, and give you some feedback. Are you currently teaching? Or? I'm not. I stopped teaching back in March. Um, you just got too I'm busy. I'm teaching so much music. I'm teaching music five days a week. Oh, cool. At, so, at the high school? Um, at La, uh, Los Angeles City College. Um, mm-hmm. And I was at Occidental College last spring. Not right now. Um, and then Calabasas High School and Oakwood School. Cool. So, um, so what is the what is the focus of your teaching? At I mean, I'm I'm sure the focus is different depending on yeah. which school you're at at it a given is. day. Um, but talk about you know your high school students versus your college students and and what their goals are and mm-hmm. um, where you where you want to take them. Yeah, I mean, high school kids are such an interesting. It's such an interesting time in their life because they don't know really what they want to do yet. They don't really know who they're going to be, and they're Mm -hmm. testing the boundaries of their personalities. Um, 
So as much as I'm trying to teach them technique and I'm trying to teach them musicality, I'm also trying to teach them how to be accountable for their actions, how mm -hmm. to be um, dependable for their peers, um, and how to do the right thing, you know, um, how mm -hmm. not to cut corners. That's basically what I try to do with them is inspire them to be the best version of themselves. Right. Um, that's the goal with high school kids. It's yeah. like, be a good person, and then if you're a good musician, great. <laughs> um, cool. With college kids... Um, I mean, LACC is a city college, so it's kind of a preparatory college to then go on and go somewhere else. And mm -hmm. so with them, I'm trying to, to get my students prepared for that. I want to know what they want to do, and I want to help them get there. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a lot of technique that they might have missed in high school, but it's also just understanding what it would mean to be a musician what it would mean to go to a four-year university as a percussion major versus a drum set major or a composition major. Right, right. So, and that encompasses, I mean, I'm sitting next to a marimba right here. You're teaching mm -hmm. orchestral percussion. and Yeah, marimba. everything, everything. My class is a percussion methods class. So, okay. And you can take my class up to three semesters. So it's, it's like a crash course and everything. And hopefully by the fourth or third time you've taken the class, you retain more of it. Right, it's right. a lot of information. And what is going on for you lately, playing-wise? I've been playing a lot with Bobby Bradford, um, a trumpet player who's played Ornette Coleman, mm -hmm. um, and Vinnie Goya, who teaches improvisation at the Cal Arts, and he's known around the world as um, just one of the premier avant-garde players of our time. Um, I'm playing with Kathleen Pineda, who's a great composer and pianist from Cal Arts. She's got a record out on... Oranda Records I'm on called A Week's Time, um, and then she's got another record coming out this winter, and we're doing a short tour for that, and we'll be at the Blue Whale. Um, I've been playing up at Vibrato a lot with the, the older jazz musicians, mm -hmm. um, whenever, you know, Pat Senator's a bass player who works there. Right, he's kind of the resident he's guy, the resident he guy. books he, the bands. Yeah, and... he played bass in Tijuana Brass, so he knew Herb Alpert through that. And right. Herb Albert is the owner of Vibrato. Exactly. Um, so th this is interesting because you, you play quite a bit at Blue Whale and you play quite a bit at Vibrato. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the, they're, they're kind of at opposite ends of the L.A. jazz they spectrum. They are and they aren't. I mean, yeah, sure, in a jazz spectrum, but in a music spectrum, I think they're pretty close together. True. You know? True. But just in terms of jazz. Right. Like the clientele that they have and the, That's true. the acts that they tend to feature. Sure. Um, so... Do you do you have to do you have to change very much going back and forth between those two? No, I don't. Um, I mean, aside from like playing a, a traditional swing beat versus a straight eighth, mm -hmm. I think. But even within the free stuff, like I'm playing a lot of straight ahead feel with Bobby. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I respond the same way. I might I might be a little bit more conscious of staying the course of playing more consistent um, at vibrato mm -hmm. but Kathleen's music is very consistent mm -hmm. um, so for those of you who don't know in, in LA uh, vibrato is a high-end jazz club lots of great food in Bel Air um, typically attract an older clientele is that Fair? Sure. It attracts the neighborhood, so yeah. it's residents of Bel Air. Right. Blue Whale is downtown in Little Tokyo, lots of young people, um, and a lot of avant-garde jazz and experimental music mm -hmm. happens there. Mm -hmm. um, and you can, you can catch Tina at, at either one at any given time, it, it sounds like. 
this is kind of an obvious question, maybe a lazy question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. Uh, drums is a, a very male-dominated world. Jazz is a male-dominated world. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how have you navigated that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm just going to kind of go on a tangent and it'll come back around. Um, Let's go I was for just it. in Sweden for a women in jazz festival. Mm-hmm. And, and when I was invited to go, I was in many ways kind of disappointed that I was going. I was like, this is so passe. Like we're past this. We've been acclimated. I don't think about it. It's not a problem anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to go and like, you know, wave my bra in the wind. And <laughs> it's just not how I feel about music. I feel like if you're good, it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. And that has by and large been my experience in Los Angeles, that mm-hmm. it's not a problem. I'm very much so hired because of how I play, yeah. not because I'm a woman. Right. Um, however, being in that environment um, was a bit of an eye-opener on how things really aren't equal. Um, because the jazz clubs in Sweden are government-funded, mm. um, they have to keep better track on the demographics of who they're employing. Mm-hmm. And only 17% of the musicians they were hiring were women. Hmm. Um, which to them is like, oh, that's not good. we got to do better. But to me, I'm like, hey, you did a study. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say it's got to be less. It's got to be less in the U.S. And not for a lack of talented women. Mm-hmm. And um, even though I don't feel like that by and large is a problem for me, there have been moments where it's been a little weird. Like right when I got home, I did a gig at the broad stage mm-hmm. with um, John Armstrong with his original project. And I'm sure the stage manager had a list of like, names and instruments and I walk in with my cymbals on my back and he looks at me and he says oh you must be the singer <laughs> it's like in those moments I'm like oh this still really is kind of weird mm-hmm. um, but by and large like being in LA and being in the CalArts community and just the Los Angeles is a progressive city mm-hmm. you know um, it's not really an issue I mm-hmm. found so did you did you think like when you when you got invited to the women in jazz thing in Sweden your your first reaction was like we don't need this we don't need a special festival to yeah. highlight women and in sometimes jazz sometimes when you get put in groups um, that are specifically women it's a weird reason to play together it would be like putting together a band of men with brown hair mm-hmm. like, it's a strange reason you want to play with people that you have artistic connections to mm-hmm. um and so sometimes the music is uninspired or mediocre or um, just not what music's supposed to be about because it's an artificial reason to put a band together. Mm-hmm. But it was nice to be around um, people that have had similar experiences and to talk about them. It was kind of like a teacher's convention mm-hmm. where it's like, no, you're not going to only interact with teachers. But it's nice to go and talk with people that experience the same things you do, have a... Have a similar perspective on the world mm-hmm. see what their solutions are and then go back into the world and and do what you do I, I think I've become a bit complacent about um, being a woman in the music scene I mean I can't tell you how many times I'm introduced as and the lovely mm-hmm. on the drum. I would right, like to right. say that and the lovely Bob Shepard, like, <laughs> a little weird. Well, uh, but you, you, you are lovelier than Bob Shepard. I mean, it's... Sure, but nobody <laughs> says that about, I don't know, anybody else. Yeah. It's, uh, and I've never, I've never taken offense to it, and I mm-hmm. still don't. Mm-hmm. But there was a moment at a jam session a couple weeks ago where if, I think if the, a, a man was like, oh, and she's a female drummer, 
And I think before that conference, I probably would have just let it go. And after that conference, this was after the conference, I said, why do you have to put female in front of it? Why can't you just say drummer? Right. Um, and I caught him a little off guard. And then it was like a whole thing that I got really angry, which is also a weird thing about it, too, because it's like if you say anything, you're rocking the boat and it makes right. everybody really uncomfortable. Right. So it's um, it's a bit of a, of a tightrope walk. In in talking to the other women at the, uh, the, what was it called in Sweden? Sweden Women in Jazz Festival. It's a really inspired name. <laughs> um, in talking to other women there, did, did you get the impression that your overall experience was better or worse than than other women in other parts of the world? Uh, better. Yeah. I would say better. I would say I've got it pretty pretty easy here. But in talking with women who are in school, I would say my experience was very similar, mm. particularly in my undergrad experience, um, which is, is tough to see other young women going through that and mm-hmm. feeling the same sort of pressures that I felt. And who knows if they'll make it out on the other end, mm-hmm. you know? Was your undergrad experience um, uh, more drum set heavy, more percussion heavy? Both, equal. Okay. I did a, a dual percussion performance degree in jazz studies and classical percussion. John Von Olin taught drum set, mm-hmm. and who taught percussion? Um, the percussion group Cincinnati, which was Rusty Burge, Jim Cully, and Alan Audi. Cool. And this was at University of Cincinnati? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. Um, so what, what about that experience uh, left you a little bit... Um, down <laughs> as you headed into oh, grad man. school um because one of the one of the themes that that we talk about a lot is the the college music experience yeah and and how many different paths there are um how many different types of schools and types of programs there are yeah so what was your undergrad experience like some things were great some things were really great the classical program was really fun um the teachers were really great and um, I got a lot out of that program. Mm-hmm. The jazz department for me was tough because um, there were really only two or three women instrumentalists in the whole program and no female teachers on faculty except for a, a vocal coach who was sometimes there. Right. And I had a drum set teacher say to me, <clears throat> I don't know how to teach you because you have feminine energy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. So, and that was like my freshman year. And when you're 18 and you're trying to navigate a new city and a yeah. new life away from your family, um, man, I didn't know how to handle that. Yeah. I still don't know how to handle it. I probably just should have said, fuck off. Right, right. Can right. I say that? Sorry. Uh, sure, go ahead. Um, but I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, I'll try to be more masculine. Sorry. Yeah. What do you say to that? Um, and I just constantly felt like I wasn't appreciated for what I could do mm-hmm. there. I felt like I was always, particularly in the jazz department, mm-hmm. specifically in the jazz department, I feel like I was underestimated a lot. Um, and whether or not it was because I was a woman or because maybe I was a bit passive at that time in my life, I mm-hmm. don't know. I can't really believe that I was passive. That's not really in my nature. Yeah. Um, but then it was like in my exit meeting, um, you have like a, a meeting with a program director before you leave, right? Mm-hmm. He sits me down and... I kid you not, all he really had to say to me was, you should really smile more when you play. Like, really? (laughs) After four years? Yeah. Wow. You have nothing about, like, go get him sport, you know? It was just, you should smile more when you play. It'll probably work more. (sighs) Man. Um, So, yeah, it's disheartening to hear that when Mm -hmm. you're so passionate about something. Mm -hmm. Your passion gets kind of 
smushed. Right. And so you were, like, be, because of that negative experience, you were considering just leaving music? Uh, among other things, yeah. yeah. I mean, coming out here, I was definitely disheartened. Mm -hmm. um, what, what made you take the leap? Because, like, I mean, something, something must have said in, inside of you, said, like, no, I got to keep doing this. Yeah. I'm going to go to CalArts. I'm going to give it another shot. I'm well, um, the opportunity to go to CalArts just presented itself. It mm -hmm. kind of, I applied, they liked me, it worked out. Um, and even within my first semester, I was kind of unsure. But studying with Alfred Lagzekpo and being in his office and... And him saying, you good lady, you know, it was, it was an awesome, it was like, oh yeah, I am, I'm yeah. really good. Mm -hmm. um, I, need, I needed more of that than I was getting before. Mm -hmm. um, and what was, what was your first couple of lessons with Joe like? What did he notice about your playing? Like, did he notice something initially and say, you know, you, you have to develop this thing. I see this in you. Yeah, my soloing ideas. I think I was really locked into patterns and rudiments. And he was like, you need to listen to Sonny Rollins and play more like Sonny Rollins solos on the drums. Mm -hmm. um, just open up your sound and play more methodically rather than just a bunch of licks. Mm -hmm. um, so we did a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. Who were um, some of your influences then and now? Have they changed? Uh, no. I would say they're, they're pretty consistent. Mel Lewis, always. Mm -hmm. um, Art Blakey, always. Um, and then modern drummers, I really love Matt Chamberlain. I really love his concept of sound and mm -hmm. how creative he is. Yeah. And then obviously Joe and uh, Joe LaBarbera and Jeff Hamilton are like my my modern jazz inspirations. And Mark Ferber. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, what's coming up for you? Oh, man, holidays are weird. <laughs> it's <laughs> a weird are. time to work. Yeah. Um, well, in January, I'm blue playing with Kathleen, mm -hmm. um, and then and she's a, she's a pianist composer, she's a piano player composer. Yeah, okay. um, she writes really beautiful music, and we have a really deep connection. We're we're um, we're best friends, mm -hmm. um, and so the connection between someone that you know that well playing, it's like you can read each other's minds. Mm -hmm. um, so we're doing a short tour at the end of January, and I'm pretty sure there's a blue whale date in there. Um, in March, I'll be at the Washington Women in Jazz Festival. Um, Another Women in Jazz Festival. I know, I know. <laughs> but you know, I, it's it's important. It's I, I'm on board now. Mm -hmm. Team Women. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know what else. Well, as as far as women in jazz go, do you, as a woman in jazz, do you feel that there is something just inherently different in a female musician or a female jazz musician? No, I don't. Um, I don't. I suppose you could argue that women are more intuitive, but I've, I've played with a lot of intuitive men, and I've played with a lot of really um, methodical women. Hmm. So, no, I don't think that that's a factor. Hmm. Um, what I will say, though, is that I think that there aren't enough women on stages to inspire younger generations. I think it's really powerful to see not just a stage full of women, but a stage full of mixed company Mm -hmm. And it not be a big deal that there's a woman on the stage, that it right. be a natural event. Um, and so I think any context where I can be on the stage is an important moment. And I didn't think that before yeah. I was at that previous conference. Yeah. So you, you feel kind of a greater sense of responsibility or? I do. Yeah. 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 And do you see more women and girls in the audience? Um, 
at times. I mean, I notice it with my students a mm-hmm. lot. I can't tell you how many times at LACC or at Calabasas, um, the women students have really responded to that. I mean, my percussion ensemble over at Calabasas, I've been there six years. There are more girls than boys now. That's never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm, maybe I'm being arrogant, but I think that might have something to do with me. I'd say so. Um, yeah. So. Um, I'm trying to make a record that's going to be happening. Well, that's what, what what's going on there? I know, I should talk about that. Yeah, I'm you the, should talk I'm about in that. the writing phase. Okay. Um, but Arenda Records, um, 2016. Cool. Tina Raymond record. Awesome. Yeah. Is that going to, what, what instrumentation is that going to? I'm thinking trio, mm-hmm. um, bass, drums, tenor sax. I can't say more than that because I haven't. Yeah. Um, well, that's interesting that you're you you want to do a pianoless, guitarless trio. Yeah, I mean there needs to be space. I yeah, think I want a lot of space on okay. the record for me. Yeah, yeah. Are, is is did something inspire that? Did a specific? Yeah, record? I love the band Fly. Oh yeah, that's Mark Turner. Mark Turner and uh, Jeff Ballard and Larry Grenadier. Yeah. Um, and also Sam Minai's record, his solo record, is that instrumentation. And okay. I think Mark Ferber's on drums for that. And, yeah. Um, it's. I think it's a. It's a cool way to ha- create a modern sound, mm-hmm. but still be able to keep a bit of traditional playing within it. Mm-hmm. Um, taking away the chords like that, it's. It's just, just counterpoint. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot more space, a lot more freedom. Cool. Well, I think I think we did it. Cool. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. It's fun. You can probably hear from that interview. Tina has such a calm yet confident presence behind the drums and otherwise. It's uh, no wonder so many artists want her to anchor their band. Since we recorded this interview, Tina has joined the faculty at the Musicians Institute in Los Angeles, so congratulations to her on that. I think uh, the more students that can benefit from her steady hand, the better. Uh, Please visit Tina's website at tinaraymond.com. Check out her playing, check out her itinerary, and be on the lookout for her debut album as a leader later this year on Orenda Records. Be sure to check out the other two podcasts that are part of the Merge Network. That's the Daniel Glass Podcast and the Drummer's Resource Podcast with Nick Ruffini. Those guys are putting out great interviews and info every week. And thanks, as always, for listening to Working Drummer. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers.